Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. While you're turning there, let me just briefly announce out in uh, the lobby, um, you'll find these on our little literature stand. Um, These are the preliminary concert cards for Look Up Clearwater this year, April 4th. Uh, The artists are lined up and uh, we're excited. We're going to have an awesome time. We have a a uh, wonderful lady, a national uh, gospel recording um, uh, person, lack of a better way, coming and just a whole bunch of talented, Jesus-filled people, and we're going to lift up the Lord. I was with uh, the chief of police this week, and he is excited. We shot a, a little promo video of him talking about how excited he is and um, being involved. So take these. There's going to be others printed up as we update the program, but uh, there's a bunch of them. You can take them, just start sharing them with your friends, have a mark on their calendar April 4th, and uh, we'll share more as, uh, as the time approaches. How many of you found Luke chapter 22? Yeah. Verse 31 and verse 32? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. You know that Simon was called Simon, that was his birth name, before Jesus changed his name to Peter. So when you hear Simon, you know that I'm talking about Peter. And uh, Jesus is addressing Peter as Simon. So here we go, Luke 22, 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan has demanded to have you all, to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It's the ability to rebound from stumbles and sins that are the great secret to ultimate victory for those that are new creation in Christ. God has engineered into the new creation the ability to be resilient and to consistently rise through life's up and downs. God's strategy in your life doesn't depend on you never falling down. It depends on you never staying down. Ours is the grace to press victoriously through life's trials and failures into victory. That's where grace really shows up. That is where Jesus shines in our life. It's not that we don't ever make mistakes or sin or fall short. It's when we rebound. He is the God that puts us back on our feet. Can you say amen? Amen. Proof of Jesus' work of redemption isn't you manifesting the inability to sin or never stumbling or failing at life's tests. But Jesus is glorified as your Redeemer when He leads you triumphantly back to your feet after you've stumbled and after you've fallen down. Somebody say, praise the Lord, if you know what I'm talking about. We talk about God keeping us. And sometimes I think we think that God keeping us means He keeps me from making mistakes. He keeps me from slipping up. He keeps my flesh from getting in the way and falling short. But how many of you have figured out by now 
that the fact that God keeps us and his grace working in our, in our life doesn't involve God keeping intact what is never going to follow us into glory. It's not God keeping intact the chaff of our life. It's not God keeping intact our weaknesses. It's not God keeping intact the things that can shake loose and fall and cause shame. God doesn't keep those intact. He keeps the new creation. He keeps us intact through those things. So when we say God is keeping me, praise the Lord, when we talk about the Lord keeping us, He is not just keeping you so you'll avoid trials, but He's, hallelujah, keeping you so you'll recover from trials. That's where the keeping power shows up. It's when he picks us up and puts us back on our feet. Can you say amen? Jesus isn't just God of my victories, but he's Lord of my rebound. Hallelujah. If you know what I'm talking about, somebody say praise the Lord. Therefore, dear Christian, life can knock you down, but it can't take you out. That's when the born-again experience shows up. That's when being a new creation in life shows up. It doesn't show up because you don't fall on your face like other people. You don't make mistakes like other people. It's that life can't take you out. Psalm 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory. And I'm going to pause there. We used to sing that all the time. My goodness. I had a dollar for every time we sang that song. I love that song. You, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory. And I want to stop there for a moment because right there, if we were to stop, I think, wow, when the Lord is my shield, I don't make mistakes. When the Lord is my shield, bad Nikki doesn't show up. Hallelujah. The weaknesses in my life don't cause embarrassment. I don't mess up in front of other people. I don't mess up. In, when God is my shield, I'm all together. And that's what you would think. I'm in glory. Hallelujah. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me, my glory. But let me finish it. You, O oh Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Now, I don't know about you, but what is my head being down doing being down in the first place. You know, the New English translation, instead of saying the lifter of my head, it says the one who restores me. So listen, he's my glory and the one who restores me. The Lord is my shield, not just when I don't make mistakes, but he's especially my shield when I need to rebound from those mistakes, when I need to recover. God's not sitting there having withdrawn His shield when you blow it, do stupid things, rebel, fall apart, and fail. And withdrawing His shield and saying, well, when you decide you want to be a Christian again, the shield will be over here, and you can come over and get behind the shield again. When you fall, our Heavenly Father, that's when He covers you with His wings. That's when He surrounds you in His grace. That's when He speaks to you and coaxes you back to your feet. Can you say praise the Lord? He said, if he were a school teacher, he would have clapped at Peter. Peter! Pay attention. The devil has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Oh, I so hoped that he had said, but I prayed for you and he won't get near you. Yeah. 
I've prayed for you and the devil won't touch you. I've prayed for you and nothing embarrassing is going to happen. But he said the devil has put in a demand to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you, your faith, after you've fallen flat on your face, is going to get back up. Your faith will not fail. Notice what God protects. Notice what the Lord is interested in. God has put a seed of faith in your life. That seed has been growing as we nurture it. But along the way in life, the natural part of your life is going to show up. And it's going to show out. And it's going to have its embarrassing moments. And now, the Christian doesn't receive a license to go out and deliberately display failure. We don't try to do that. That's not something that the, that the heart of a true child of God that's following Jesus Christ is all about. It's not about trying to get away with things. Grace isn't the ability to stay the same. It's the power to grow and be better. It's not permission to stay the same. It is the calling and the ability to rise up and to improve. So, but the reality is, is along the way, if there's something that can shake out, something in life is going to find it and shake it out. How many of you have figured that out by now? So Jesus said that your faith may not fail. As a child of God, if you won't stay down, then you can't be defeated. Amen. Let me say that again. I'm going to try English this time. If you won't stay down, then you cannot be defeated. If you keep taking daddy's hand and rising up from your shortcomings, Satan is never going to win in your life. It's not beating the devil at his game. It's not figuring out how he gets in. It's every time a part of you that is still fleshy, that is still prone to the things of the world, gets stuck out there and you stumble. As long as you refuse to let that define you, as long as you refuse to stay there, as long as you still reach up to the reaching down hand and take hold of the hand of God's grace and get back up, the devil can never win against you in life. Amen. Your made-up mind to rebound from mistakes and failures is the devil's worst nightmare. Every lie he speaks to you, in fact, every attack he launches against you has an ultimate purpose. And the ultimate purpose isn't to get you to commit that immediate act of failure, that shortcoming, or to go off the rails, or, or, to, or to stumble. His ultimate desire, his ultimate strategy and everything he attacks you with is to get you to let yourself lie down and say, well, I guess I must not really be saved. I guess I'm not much of a Christian. I guess the Lord doesn't have really a hold of my life. I can't do this. It's too hard. As long as you refuse to quit, the devil cannot win against you. Can you say amen? amen. You know, Basketball teams that put all of their strategy, all of their effort, all of their uh, money into developing great shooters and winning because they're all just fabulous shooters that they can't miss the net are never going to be champions. Those teams never win. 
I know that seems odd because the whole objective is to hit the net, right? That's, that's the whole object of basketball. But the fact of the matter is there's another team that you're playing against. We live in a life of opposition, and you have opponents. You have an enemy. And life is not your friend. So no matter how good you are at hitting the net, there's always an opponent out there equally good at knocking your ball away. How many of you have met those opponents in your life? You think, I just took the shot. I, I've got it. This is wonderful. And then an hour later, something jumps up and happens and just knocks you right down, and all that joy, all that excitement and bliss is gone in one big tirade that comes out of your mouth because somebody cut you off on the road. <laughs> and there is, there's an opponent out there ready to knock you down. So no, no team wins just because their strategy is all about, I don't make mistakes. I always hit the mark. I always do what God tells me to do. Are you listening? Notice that Jesus said to Peter, beware, the devil's demanded to sift you like wheat. And he said, he is going to sift you like wheat. But the New English translation takes that word sift and it expands it a little bit. And the phrase that we would use today is pick you apart. Everyone say, pick you apart. Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan has demanded to pick you apart, to begin to dismantle you, to begin to pick the pieces off and take you apart and see what's on the inside. Expose your parts. Expose your pieces. Now, years ago when I saw that, I thought to myself, how in the world did Satan get at Peter? Peter's following Jesus. Jesus is Lord of our life. If I'm supposed to take encouragement from the Gospels and the Scriptures, there's Jesus warning Peter at the Last Supper. The devil has demanded to take you apart. And the, the next thing he says isn't, but don't worry about it. I, I told him, no way. Don't worry about it. I told him, he, he can't touch you. You belong to me. But instead, Jesus says, when he's done taking you apart, and you rebound, yep. and you recover, because yep. I've prayed for you, strengthen your brothers. Yes. After you've fallen flat on your face, you're going to get back up because I've prayed for you. That your faith won't fail. Strengthen your brothers. Somebody say praise the Lord. So, but this still leaves us with a theological quandary. How are we going to be confident in our faith towards Jesus if the devil can get by him and get to us to take us apart. Do you want the devil to come and take you apart? Do you want him to sift you like wheat? I'm at the head of that line. I don't want him to take me apart. But Jesus' explanation of his own experience when the devil came at him and was able to finally get to him helps us to understand, perhaps, why he warned Peter and about our position in life. Jesus said at the Last Supper, now, for three and a half years, Satan had tried Jesus, had gone after him, set up every kind of ambush he could, but he could never touch him. But Jesus knew a time was coming 
when the devil was going to get to him, was going to get at him, was going to pick him apart. And Jesus said this after he had finished sharing with the disciples and they were heading out the door to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, from here on out, I will not talk much with you. There's a good clue for some of you. When the enemy is on your trail, don't talk much. You're just, there's less for him to pick apart. At any rate, I just throw that in for free. I just, but Jesus said, hereafter, I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world comes and he has nothing in me. He's going to pick me apart. I'm going to go through experiences that if there is selfishness, if there is hatred, if there is lust, if there is greed, if there is fear, if there's anything in me, anything whatsoever to cause me to depart from my father, if there's any room in my life that he could put a wedge between me and my father, what I'm about to go through is going to discover that weakness, that chink in my armor. If there's something of the world in me, if there's some of the devil's property in my life, he's going to take me apart, he'll find it. But I tell you now, the prince of this world comes and he has nothing in me. And I'm going to say this to all of you and include myself. He's got something in you. If you're still drawing breath and living in your natural body, he's got something in you. He's got something in all of us. Trust me. Your victory in life as being an overcomer does not depend on there being absolutely nothing unholy, nothing unrighteous, nothing carnal in your life. And I'm sure we could cook up a scenario to, to pick you apart a little bit and find out if that's true or not, if there's something in there that could pop out that might not be of God. Are you listening? So Jesus says, the prince of this world comes. The devil's coming. The devil comes. Let me say it again. And I'm not exalting him. This is a fact of life. The devil comes. He came at Jesus. And he's certainly going to come at you and I. The drops of blood in the water. And he comes around. Are you listening? It is the inescapable fact of life that the devil comes. He comes like the winnowing wind that carries the chaff away when that winnowing fork is beating out the wheat. You know, when John the Baptist introduced Jesus to Israel, he said, you're going to know he's the Messiah because his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he's going to winnow. He's going to separate the chaff from the wheat. He's going to beat his, his purging floor, his threshing floor, and thresh that wheat and beat it. And when he does, it's going to fly up in the air. But the lighter chaff, the things of the flesh, the natural things, the things that are not part of the new creation in our life, they're light. They're light as air, like the husks. They're going to break off the wheat. When that pressure of that hitting comes, those things that we call chaff float up and the wind carries them away. But the, weight, the wheat doesn't go anywhere. The wheat stays right where it's at. Hallelujah. And that's how he sifts. That's how he separates 
We need to let the chaff go. Can you say praise the Lord? The glory of Jesus Christ as my Redeemer, as my Reconciler, isn't that my chaff never shows. It's that when it does, I rebound. I never stay down. The wheat always gets back up. Can you say amen? <laughs> Hebrews 12, you're probably familiar with this one. The author of Hebrews says, His voice shook the earth back then. But now he has promised, God has, saying once again, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created or natural things, so that those things which cannot be shaken, and obviously, conversely, he's speaking about the eternal and the heavenly, the new creation, the things which cannot be shaken will remain. So the shaking does what? The shaking brings those chaffy things, chaffy things. I, I don't think that's a real word, but brings the chaff up. And that's what the enemy comes at us for. He attacks the chaff, the chaff, excuse me, in our life. God's word makes it soberingly certain that all that can be shaken will be shaken. As long as you draw breath in this life, you are going to encounter trials. And in those trials, ultimately, the issue is going to be separating what can be shaken from what cannot be shaken. And you ought to be happy for that to happen. You ought to rejoice. And the way to rejoice is when you have been knocked on your face, when you have fallen short, when you're grieved with yourself. Don't get before God and try to collect the chaff, paste it and glue it back on yourself, and, and, and try to convince God that you're together. Try to convince God, oh, no, no, I'm, 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 a, I'm staying faithful. I haven't fallen apart. God already knows who you are and what you are. God already knows all about that chaff. Let it go. Just confess it. Just let it go. Father, I let it go. This is the chaff, and I'm letting it go. The devil attacked the chaff because he can't touch the wheat. Satan can't do a thing to the wheat. He can't get at the wheat. The wheat is going to rebound. The wheat is going to jump back up on its feet. Notice that he said, so that the things that can be shaken will be removed, so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. So Satan attacked in Peter the things that could be shaken in Peter's character. And the devil was thinking, I'm picking Peter apart. That's what the devil thinks. And look at what God said about it. The devil thought, I'm picking Peter apart. But what God was thinking was, no, the things in Peter that are going to remain are going to remain. The only thing the devil's going to get is the chaff. The only thing he's going to get is the fact that Peter was afraid. He became cowardly. When Jesus was on trial, all the boasting, he felt so terrible. All the big things he had claimed, all the things he said, I will fight for you. They're never going to take you. And just hours later, there he is denying Jesus. I don't know the man. I have no idea who you're talking about. And, you know, the thing that gets me the most is that Jesus is, during his trial, he can look across a few doorways and he sees Peter out there in the courtyard and they make eye contact 
the third time that Peter denied Jesus, he looks up at Jesus, and Jesus looks across at him, and the rooster crowed. After the third time, he denied the Lord. Peter just folded up like a cheap watch. He just thought, this is it. I, I feel I've just failed. I'm, I'm, I, I am a complete, total failure. You see, when you put all of your eggs in one basket, oh, Lord, I will never deny you. Oh, Lord, I will never do this. I will always be that. That's going to be the first thing you're going to do. Just get ready for it. You know, if you set yourself up as a Christian on this pedestal, I don't make mistakes. Grace is keeping me. God is what the shield, the shield is protecting me. That, you're not even going to see that shield until you have fallen on your face. And you get back up and you take the Father's hand. Can you say praise the Lord? So Satan thinks that he is picking you apart. But the chaff is the only thing the devil can blow away. So guess what? He's not picking you apart. He's sifting you. In Jesus' mind, he said he's sifting you like wheat. You are wheat. The devil can't deal with the, with the grain of wheat. And so there's nothing that he can do to stop you from remaining. God has bred a rebound into your life. Can you say amen? You know, Jesus said, I have prayed for you. I've prayed for you before you have even stumbled or before you've even missed that shot. I have prayed for you. That rebound has already been programmed into your spiritual DNA. The ability to get back on your feet and uh, retake control of the ball has already been set up by God. You know, the thing about Jesus that makes it so thrilling to be a Christian is that no matter what happens in this life, the Lord has already bred into the new creation in me the victory. I'm already victorious. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus as long as I don't quit. The devil can only do one thing to you, entice you to stay down and give up. But God has put the resurrection in you. What do you think the word resurrection means anyway? And do you think that if Jesus was raised from the dead, that he can't raise you up a million times in your life if he needs to? The Bible says you're already seated with him in the heavenly places. Hallelujah. It's the team that masters its ability to rebound and take back control of the ball that cannot be defeated. That's the champion team. It's winning your battles under the net that makes you an undefeatable champion of faith, not making perfect shots. We are not impressed with Christians that can quote the Bible accurately. And by the way, I truly give thanks when we as Christians are put to the test and we overcome. We don't, we don't falter. When, when uh, we have the challenge to obey the Lord, and we do obey the Lord, the choice is never, well, should I fall flat on my face so that I can rebound? I don't want to have to rebound, but I thank God that if I fall on my face, that's not the end of me. The Lord has put a rebound 
into my life. Can you say praise God? I want to close with this thought. Jesus said, once you've rebounded, go strengthen your brothers and sisters. Once you've gotten back on your feet, go strengthen your brothers and sisters. You want to know why? It's not hard to convince people in life that there's a God or that God is good. What's really difficult is when you've got somebody who looks at themselves and as a believer, as a Christian, has made mistakes and made the same mistake over and over and over again, and they are having a real hard time believing that they can overcome. That is hard. It's hard to believe that there's a rebound. You know, some of you perhaps have never gotten to the place in life where you feel like you used up your get-out-of-jail-free card or that, um, that there is no coming back from this. And indeed in life, one of the things that happens, I think, that tries to convince us that there's no coming back, meaning coming back to faith, coming back to fellowship with God, deciding I'm walking with Jesus no matter what. If i got to leave a leg behind, I'm still walking with Jesus. Amen. Amen. And one of the things that makes it hard to believe that is because there are consequences. When you get knocked down, sometimes some of you get stuff and gets knocked out. And you get back up, but it doesn't get up with you. And you really didn't need it in the first place. It was probably some of that chaff got knocked off your life. But the fact that there are consequences, the fact that uh, we can go through life with a limp, that uh, when God restores us, puts us back on our feet, Jesus even said, hey, it's better to enter glory with one eye. If your eye keeps offending you, pluck it out. Now, I'm not recommending that you pluck your eye out, but you get what Jesus is talking about. Because the thing in you that goes into glory is something that no trial can ever touch. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. The new creation in Christ in you. There's a whole lot of you that can die trying to follow Jesus. But believe you me, that which God has done in your life cannot be robbed. It cannot be taken. The only thing you can do to it is just surrender it to the devil by staying down. Just say, you know what, I'm not going back to church. I'm not fellowshipping. I'm not going to pray anymore. And I think a lot of us have maybe hit moments like that where we just close up our Bible and we go, you know, like that. But thank God the Lord doesn't leave you alone, does he? He just keeps knocking on the door. Knock, 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 hey. And he wakes you up in your darkness. He wakes you up in your, your unhappy state, maybe in your misery, and says, you have not lost. Get back on your feet. What do you mean I haven't lost? My, my family has left me. Uh, my job has fallen apart. What do you mean I haven't lost? I've, I've got this disease. They say I'll never recover from it. And I've asked for healing and it isn't coming. What do you mean I'm, I'm not going to lose? You, the new creation in Christ, the man that I have made you to be, the woman I've made you to be, you've lost those things, but that's not who you are. You cannot fail if you just get back on your feet and let the Lord keep on keeping on in your life. Amen? So Jesus said, when you have rebounded, strengthen your brothers and sisters. And this is the thought I'd like to leave you with. 
If the devil knew every time you rebound from stumbling in a trial that you would come up stronger in grace and that you would strengthen others, you'd think he'd leave you alone. Isn't that logical? If it's going to cost him more souls in the kingdom of God, if it's going to cost him other people being encouraged, every time he knocks you down, you just keep getting back up, he would leave you alone. If he were a smart devil, maybe he would. But you see, the devil's poisoned. He has to do what he does. It's embedded in his nature. Satan's nature is bent in obsession over God's favor for you. He obsesses over it. He responds to it like a moth to the flame. When he sees God's favor in your life, he attacks it. He cannot not attack it. And if a hundred times he's hit you and you've even staggered and fallen and made a few mistakes, but you keep hopping back on your feet, he's so sick, he can't stop it. He's going to hit you again. He's going to go after you again. And you would think that he stops, but just remember this, that he has no power to separate you from the love of God. He has absolutely no ability to touch in your life Jesus Christ and you, the child of God that the Lord has made you to be. As God's child, every time you rebound from your trials, you demonstrate his unconquerable love and you become a symbol of hope and encouragement to others. I'd like you to close your Bible and stand with me this morning. The world needs to see the ability to rebound. The best that the world has is chances, and they're limited. But what Jesus has done in our life is he has put us in a place where sin and failure have lost their dominion over us. There still may be the shreds of the world hanging out in our mind or in our flesh, but the truth is that it has no power to keep us. There's no ownership. That has been severed. You have a forever perpetual rebound in you, and you need to use that every single time you find a shortage in your life.